0: There is something inside of you that wants to find the thing that you were made to do. Become confident of it. It'll change your perception of your future. Do you have the courage to think something beyond where you are? Send me Jesus. My calling will find me. Continuing this series on the study of Isaiah chapter 6, the title, Send Me. The previous sermon, we talked about the perils of power. And as long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. But after he became powerful, it went to his head and his pride led to his downfall. So it's important we get the context of where we're studying. And we pick up here in Isaiah chapter 6, King Uzziah's death marked the beginning of Isaiah's 60-year ministry, primarily as a prophet to the nation of Judah. And Isaiah's ministry spanned the reign of four different kings. Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, who happened to be a close friend of Isaiah, and Hezekiah's wicked son Manasseh. And ancient Jewish tradition asserts that under the reign of Manasseh, he had Isaiah executed by putting him in a hollow log and then having him sawn in half. Can you imagine that kind of death? Being sawn with a saw in a, in a hollow log. And we see that this is probably referred to in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 36 to 38. This is talking about the heroes of the faith. Some heroes of the faith got what they asked for. Other heroes of the faith had to wait till heaven. And some were blessed and some were persecuted. And so we see in verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. Verse 37, they were stoned and then they were sawed in two. So it seems to refer back to Isaiah. And they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. And so God took them home. And so before Isaiah could begin his prophetic calling, certain steps had to be taken. This was his call to ministry. This was his big day where the Lord is going to call him to be a prophet to the nation of Judah. And so he had to make preparation. He had to be ready for this calling. And in the same way, we all have a calling. Do you realize that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a calling, you have a mission on your life. And it may not be to stand up here and and look silly like I do half the time. But it is a calling nonetheless. And your calling is just as great as my calling and anyone else's. But I want you to understand before God can take you into the fullness of your calling, he must prepare you. We're not ready to jump into ministry when we think we are. Remember Moses? He's 40 years old. He said, now's the time. I'm ready. Kills an Egyptian and then has to run for his life. 40 years later, God says, now you're ready. Now that you're 80 and on AARP, you are finally ready. Before we can enter into whatever God has for us, and I want you to believe that God has something good for you. God wants to bless you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to heal you. He wants to answer your prayers. God wants to do good things. That's all good gifts come down from God. But before we can enter into whatever God has for us, certain steps must be taken. Before we can receive all that the Lord has given us, the groundwork must be laid. And this is true of individual believers as well as churches. Now this church has been through some wonderful seasons, seasons of revival, of great growth. And I believe God's bringing us into a new season. And God is challenging us to believe Him like we've never believed Him before. And while God has done a great history here, we have an even greater future if we believe it and if we prepare for it. But we got to be ready. God's doing something. There's a stirring. I hope you sense it. There's a stirring in our hearts. There's a stirring in our church. And we have witnessed times of revival, but the best is yet to come. But to do that, we have to be ready, we have to be equipped, we have to be expecting God to move. we got to show up, we got to engage, right? We're not just an observer, we're a participant. We enter into worship, we enter into ministry, we enter into our calling, we serve the Lord. And so, are you in a new season of your life? Perhaps you are. Maybe you're starting a business or a new job or a new career. Maybe you're going to be married, become a parent, or a, God bless you, a grandparent, greatest thing in the world. Maybe you're in a place where God's calling you somewhere else, time to resign or retire or relocate. Do you sense a shift in your spirit? Is there a new chapter in your story that is about to be written? Isaiah was going to minister between, among four different kings through the, through the reign of four kings, Some of those guys were good, and some were not so good. And one was really bad, Manasseh. And so he had to be called. He had to be equipped. He had to be ready for each king. Each king represented a new season in Judah's history. During Hezekiah, it was wonderful. Hezekiah served the Lord. But Hezekiah also made a serious mistake and showed Babylon all the treasures of the temple. And God challenged him for it. And so Isaiah had to prophesy to Manasseh. He had to prophesy to Hezekiah. And so he had to be ready. And each time was a new season. And if God is writing a new chapter in your life, you've got to be ready for it. Wherever there is a changing season in our lives, we need to be ready to answer the call of God Here I am, send me. When God calls, and when God's looking for someone, who, who will I send? Who will do this for me? Who will step in these shoes? Who will answer this call? We need to be the ones that says, here I am, stepping forward, send me. It's not like the Bugs Bunny cartoon where everybody steps back and that one dude's left all by themselves to volunteer. Isaiah was about to enter a new season. He was receiving a call to be a prophet. Now, that wasn't a fun job. Some people, oh, they want to be a prophet. I hope you like being sawn in two and and those kinds of things because that's what happened to the prophets. It was a tough job. And Isaiah was called to be a prophet, and as soon as he said, here I am, send me, God says, great, now I've got some bad news. You're going to go to these people, and they're not going to listen to you. And so, Isaiah, how many of you got to be prepared for that? You got to be equipped. And we need to walk in the way of Isaiah's calling ministry and mission because whatever God has for you in this season in your life in your marriage in your family God has something for you but we need to prepare our hearts for whatever God has for us and so let's look at Isaiah 6 1 that's as far as we're going to get today as one verse bless God in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus. This is what happened. Before Isaiah could begin his prophetic ministry, he needed an encounter with the Lord. Before you do anything, you better have an encounter with God. you got to meet with Jesus. Isaiah saw the Lord, and it wasn't just the Lord. It was the Lord Jesus in particular, before beginning his ministry, first and foremost, Isaiah had to have a vision of the Lord. He needed a vision. And in reality, this was an Old Testament appearance of Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, Jesus didn't just come on the scene as a baby born in a manger. Jesus has always been. Jesus, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, have always been, always existed. And so we see all three members of the Trinity in both the Old and New Testaments. And so, who did, who did Isaiah see? Believer's Bible commentary it says In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had a vision of the King of Kings. And we learn from John chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, that the King he saw was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So he saw the Lord, he saw Jesus. This is what Isaiah saw, and we we know that because it's fulfilled in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 39, which says, For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. And that was the ministry that Isaiah was given, to tell them to turn, but he knew they wouldn't. In verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Wow, isn't that awesome? Before he could step into this new role, before he could take on this mantle of being a prophet, before he could prepare himself to minister for 60 years with four different kings, Isaiah needed a vision of Jesus. And Isaiah saw his glory. And in the same way, we need to see Jesus as well. Not literally, but spiritually. I've never seen Jesus, literally. But I certainly have encountered him. I have felt his presence. Now that my grandsons are overseas, living in the Middle East, I can't see them face to face, and it kills me. It is so hard to be so far away. But I can see them on FaceTime. Bless God. It's like a 10-hour difference. So while we're waking up, they're going to bed. And so we've got this little window, this little bitty window of time to see them. And I love FaceTiming them. What a great invention for missionaries and the military folks. You can still see your loved ones even though they're not face-to-face. And I love just a few, a few days ago, Shiloh, our youngest, was learning to tell stories and so he would start off one day and then we'd wait and he'd say one day and that's as far as his story went (laughs) but I loved it nonetheless one day and so I download videos and I watch them and I and my daughter sends me pictures and I keep put them on my phone and and put them on my iPad and I Whenever I'm feeling like I need a pick-me-up, I go look at pictures of my grandkids. Watch videos of them. How many know we may not be able to see Jesus face-to-face yet? But we can see his picture in the words of the Bible. Isn't it true? He has revealed himself. We can see Jesus in the Bible. Someday we're going to see him face-to-face, but today we can see him. So we should study, we should read. And we can talk to him in real time. We can pray. Isn't that what prayer is? Talking to God in real time. And so we may not see Jesus face to face, but we can encounter his spirit and we can learn more about him in his word that there's a picture that is painted in God's word of Jesus. And we can talk to him. And he says, one day, we will see him face to face. We need a deeper experience. We need a personal encounter and a clear revelation of God. You know, it's strange what we're going through in this world. Isn't it just bizarre? It is crazy. I mean, there is threat of nuclear war. Probably closest than we've ever been in my lifetime. And yet, we just go on our merry way. I mean, you know, if... If something's coming, we better be ready. We better be prepared, and we better be close to God. We need an encounter of Jesus. We need to see him. We need to study his word. We need to seek his face. We need to pray. Because like Isaiah, before we can do this, before we can go through this time, we need an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And for his calling, Isaiah first had to see the Lord. Isaiah also needed to know that, number two, Jesus is on the throne. In Bible times, a throne represented authority, power, majesty, and splendor. Kings sat on thrones, and when they sat on the throne, it was very interesting, they would be seated on the throne. And when they were seated on the throne, they were in a place to make judgment. That's what it meant to be seated on the throne. It was a place of power and authority, and it was a place to make judgment. And the Lord's throne is... Visible evidence of his sovereign rule. We say it all the time. God is on the throne. Do, you, do we believe that? In other words, God's in control. He's on that throne. He's making judgments. And God is king of all kings. Look at Psalm 47, verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. In other words, God is in absolute control of world events. How many know God's not freaking out about Russia and Ukraine? God already knows what's going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning. And we don't know that, and that causes us fear and concern. But I want you to know when we don't know these things, God does. And we can take comfort by trusting in him no matter what happens. We know the one who knows it all. We don't know it all, but we know the one who does. And God reigns over all the earth and its inhabitants. And and so this should give us comfort about what's going on in the world today. And it should give us an assurance about our own lives. Our lives do not consist of a series of random events. Your life is not random. You are not an accident. Your parents may have said you were, but you were not. (laughs) That's a great thing to hang over a child. You know you were an accident. If, you've, if your parents ever said that, you say, no, I am not. I am created by God. He formed me, he knitted me in my mother's womb. He knew me before I was born. Amen. And so our life is not random. It's not reckless. It is by divine design. Because there is the King of kings sitting on the throne, and he is making decrees over your life. He is forever seated in absolute authority and power on his throne and we may not always understand what is going on but we can trust that God is always working things together for our good yes we will go through hard times we will go through bad times but God turns those things around into good things I've seen so much of my life where bad things happen and I look back now today and I see how God's turned them around it's amazing that's the God we serve That even the bad things turn into good for us. And someday it's going to make sense. It may not make sense to us right now. But Jesus is king. He is the king. He is over every human authority and power. And he is in control. Revelation chapter 21 verse 5 gives us a picture of Jesus sitting on that throne. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is at the end of time when all has taken place. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is finished for the second time. And I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Wow. So we see that when a king is on a throne like this, he's in a position to make judgment and rule by royal decree. And we need the rule of Jesus to govern our lives if we're ever going to fulfill our calling. Listen, he is the king. He has the right to do with our lives whatever he chooses. And we are to follow the rule of Jesus that is outlined in the scriptures, in the Bible. And what's great about this is God promises to reward us when we follow his rule. I'm telling you, we, we can't serve to our greatest capacity unless we are submitted to his rule in our lives. And that means whatever comes in your life, you're going to praise him. We're having a good study on Wednesday night about the, the book of Job. I hope you'll tune in or come, because I'm telling you what, it's going to take you deeper. And we're going to learn when God's in control, what does that mean? Now here's the next thing Isaiah witnessed, number three. He witnessed Jesus high and exalted. So he saw the Lord Jesus, seated on the throne. But at the same time, though he was seated on the throne, he's high and exalted. Because his throne is over any other throne. It says in the word that, Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. That's how powerful and how mighty God is. He is seated on his throne and he is high and lifted up. And one of the most amazing things is though Jesus was high and exalted, he still humbled himself by becoming a baby in a manger. I mean, he, he has always been the king, he has always been. And yet he left all of the glory of heaven to come and save you and me. I mean, we can never forget that. Look at Philippians chapter two, verse five. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Are ready? Okay, it's a new season. How I many know oh, with a new season needs to come a new attitude? We need a new attitude. If we're going to fulfill the call of God on our life, we better have the right attitude. So much depends upon our attitude and our outlook on life. And so this is the attitude we need to have. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The creator became part of his creation. The master, the king, became a servant and washed fishermen's feet. Come on, there's nothing worse than that. Surely, fishermen's feet, because I'm a fisherman, I know. (laughs) Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore... Since he humbled himself, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, that preach just comes all over me for that. That should fire you up. God the Father exalted Jesus to the highest place because he humbled himself and obeyed even to the point of dying on the cross now I've shared with you before that I love pancakes since I can remember I have always loved pancakes oh my goodness in fact I was worried as a kid I asked my mom will there be pancakes in heaven because I could not imagine a heaven without pancakes and I ate so many pancakes it's probably evident I ate so many pancakes, my mom got tired of making them for me. And so she, she filled a plastic tub with pancake mix, and she taught me how to make pancakes. Okay, just I've got this tub of, of powdered pancake mix. You just add some water, just two ingredients, the pancake mix and the water. You mix it, but don't mix it too much. You've got to leave clumps. have got to leave clumps in it. I know these things. And so... She did this for me because she got so tired of me asking for pancakes all the time. And so I I would make pancakes any time of day. Bless God, there's pancakes ready. And one day I made pancakes as usual, just savoring the glorious pancakes as they cook. You want that light brown, just beautiful, certain time and everything fried in butter. Oh, Man, I didn't eat breakfast. Somebody, you want to run to McDonald's for me real quick? And so I was waiting, and, you know, and I always heat the syrup. Got to have hot syrup. Just a chunk of butter and hot syrup. No, don't mess it up with peanut butter. Who said peanut butter? Oh, my goodness. That's sacrilegious. So I had made these pancakes, poured the syrup, And I I went to eat them, took a big old forkful as I could fit in my mouth, and it tasted horrible. And what I hadn't realized is I had taken the tub of flour, not the tub of pancake mix, added water. I could make paper mache with it, but it didn't taste right. I'm telling you what, that was Nasty. I had the wrong ingredients, and I want to tell you that's our lives. We're using the wrong ingredients. There's two ingredients for us to be lifted up, to be promoted, to be used by God. Humility and obedience. That's the two ingredients. You cannot fulfill your calling and your destiny without those two ingredients. We got to humble ourselves. God can't use us if we've lifted ourselves high and exalted can't use us but when we humble ourselves like Jesus can you imagine when they spit on him tore out his beard and he said father forgive them wow he humbled himself and he was obedient to the father these are the two ingredients we need for this day For this season, what's going on in the world, God's people need to humble themselves and be obedient even to the cross. We cannot be used by God without these ingredients. We cannot fulfill our calling. This new season, we have to be prepared. And we prepare ourselves by humbling ourselves and obeying God. And you know what? Carrying our cross Jesus said, We all have a cross to bear. And you may look at someone else's cross, you know, yours is made of iron and there's this balsa wood. Yours is 12 feet tall and theirs is like, you know, they can carry it in one hand. Don't ever envy someone else's cross. I'm going to tell you, their cross looks easy, (laughs) but it doesn't fit you. We have our own cross to carry, we have our own cross to bear. Finally, Isaiah saw the train or hem of the robe of Jesus fill the entire temple. This is fascinating. What does the train of a robe represent in Bible times? Look at Jameson Fawcett Brown say, a vision of God represented as an Eastern monarch attended by seraphim. We'll get into the seraphim next week. As ministers of state and with a robe and flowing train a badge of dignity in the east which filled the temple. And so we see this train, this robe as a, as a badge of dignity to the king of honor. And we see a picture of Jesus in his robe. Now, remember when we, f- we first see Jesus on earth, he comes as a little baby in a manger. He's always been, but he came to earth as a baby. Humble. He, he had to have a crib out of a feeding trough. My other grandchildren, bless God. Thank God I have, I can actually see them face to face. Because they're twins, they have two of everything. Two cribs, two bouncers, two car seats. We had to buy extra car seats to share them with the in-laws. <laughs> but I'm, I am amazed at the stuff you can get now for babies. I had babies at the wrong time. I'm telling you right here and right now. There's so many amazing things. But when Jesus came, there was not even a crib It was a feeding trough. So we see how he came humble. But I want to tell you, he's coming back, and he looks very different. Look at this, Revelation 1, 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, which we know is a euphemism for Jesus, dressed in a robe. There's the robe. Reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. No kidding! And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Wow. That's power. That's majesty. That's our king. Came as a baby, coming back as a conquering king. Came as a suffering servant, but he's coming back to rescue his own. And the Lord no longer inhabits a temple made by human hands. Before God can use us, before we can be ready for a change, before we can fulfill our calling, we need to be, have this temple filled with the Holy Spirit. We learned through COVID that a temple is not a building, it's a people. The church is a people. But certainly this is a gathering point, and God said we're to gather in the last days. So this is called by God right here. This gathering. But we have to understand that what God really wants to inhabit is you and me. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You are sacred unto God. This church, this gathering, this group of people, the believers in Bakersfield and all around the world, we are the temple. He inhabits his people. And we are that temple. And we are sacred unto God. Corporately, we're the temple of God. Individually, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, our very bodies are the temple. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are the temple. And we need to remember that. I'm, I'm telling you that this temple needs to be refilled sometimes. We see at the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Spirit. And then later on, they were refilled again. How many know we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit? We need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need a new revival, a new outpouring, a new day. I'm telling you, in these days, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need the gift of tongues. You need the gifts of the Spirit. We need these gifts for this day. We can't do it in the flesh. This whole war between abortion and right to life could divide our nation. There's calls to violence already. This is a crazy world we're living in, but you know what the answer is? You and me are going to be filled with the Spirit. We're going to be filled with the Spirit to overflowing. And then we'll be ready to do ministry. I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me this week that the Lord would fill Bakersfield First Assembly with His Spirit. And I'm telling you, it first begins the temple at home, then the temple here. And so we need to be filled. I want to encourage you to make that your prayer this week Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Fill me again. Fill me for the first time. And so I want to ask you today, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Is there anyone here today, you, you feel this sense, when I spoke this, it resonated with your heart that you need to see Jesus. You need an encounter with the Lord. Is that anyone in this place? Just slip up your hand. You know you need to see Jesus. You need to clear a picture of who he is in your life. You put your hands down. How many today need to know that God is in control? Jesus is on the throne. You're going through something that has unsettled you, that has scared you, that you feel you don't know what to do. If you need that reassurance that Jesus is on the throne, just slip up your hand today. I want to pray for you as well. Amen. Several hands. And Jesus is high and exalted. And you need a fresh filling of the Spirit. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, you saw those hands that were raised. And God, I believe you're going to bring lost people to our church. And they're going to be found. And they're going to be saved. And they're going to be filled with the Spirit. But Lord, before all of that, it begins with us. We need to see you, Jesus. We need a clearer picture of who you are. We need an encounter in your words. Speak to us from the words of life. May we see the picture of Christ in the Bible. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, we pray. God, we need to know that you're in control. If we can't trust you now, how will we trust you when it really gets hard? We've got to learn to trust you now that you are in control. You are on the throne, not us. We're not in charge here. You are. And when we yield to that, there's peace. When we worship you, you're high and exalted. Oh God, we have to humble ourselves. Show us what that means. Sometimes we're so defensive we got to hold on to our pride because we feel like it's all we've got. Our accomplishments on this earth are the only thing that make us feel good about ourselves. But the reality is that is hollow and it won't last. We need to seek the praise that comes from God, not from man. And so, Lord, show us what it means to humble ourselves to one another before you. And, Lord, we take that other ingredient, obedience. We want to do your will. We want to follow your word. Lord, it's the only way. We're going to be ready. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the elders to come forward, the board members and pastors. If you need someone to agree with you in prayer today, don't be in a hurry to leave. Come up and receive prayer. If you have never given your life to Christ, one of these people can lead you to the Lord. But whatever God has put on your heart, I encourage you to come and kneel in the altars or ask for prayer. Some may want to stay toward the front and just worship. The rest of us will keep our conversation to the foyer so the Spirit of God can move in this place. I sense a new season. The Spirit of God is brooding over these waters like at creation. I believe It's a new day, and I believe it may be the last revival, the last great awakening, because things are happening on a world scale, and someone's going to need a rock to stand on. People are going to need you, Jesus. We got to be ready. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.